Hello, my name is Daniel Elias, and this is my wife, Christine. And somehow in God's plan, uh, we couldn't have children until 16 years into our marriage. So when our first daughter, Joy, was born, um, we decided to grow our family more, just to have a little playmate, you know, for her. And uh, we would begin to pray, and we were so grateful to find out that Christine was expecting again. To our surprise, when I was 15 weeks pregnant, we almost lost our, we then discovered, daughter. Um, on the way to the hospital, I remember praying, Lord, please save this child. And he graciously did. Our faith was definitely being tested, and we drew closer to God in prayer. As we lifted up this little life in Christine's womb, I remember turning to the Bible for answers. And I wanted to know what, was, what God was up to. And, and, and he kept on directing me to passages that had the word hope. For example, Jeremiah 29, 11, we all know it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. What appeared to be the signs of miscarriage actually alerted us to the fact that our daughter, we found out, had all the signs and markers of Down syndrome. Oh, as you can imagine, our world was turned upside down. Where was God in all our suffering? I remember reading Romans 5, verse 2, that says, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also boast in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And hope, my friends, does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So when our second daughter was born, we obviously had to call her hope. Our difficult journey helped us to realize that God was and is our source of hope. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, I, lo I love that family so much. I Hopi is what I, I call her and Joy. Uh, they're both great and Joy does a fabulous job serving in our kids' ministry with Hope. But uh, good morning, church family. I'm, I'm Pastor Mike. I'm the children's family pastor here at Woodland. And I'm so excited to, uh, to be here with you guys. And, um, and yes, I look exactly like Tim. So let's just pretend I am, okay? And this one might help you out. Um, but yeah. Everyone, I think, loves a countdown. Kids go crazy when you start a countdown. All right, you put it on the screen, and then they just get louder and louder and louder and louder, thinking that the louder they get, the faster the clock would, like, tick down. Okay? Now, you adults are just as bad. Right? You sit there uh, at work. You're counting down the seconds until it's 5 o'clock, which is quitting time. Or maybe if you're a parent out there, you just have a countdown of when summer break's going to be over, where your life and your food budget can get back to normal, right? And so countdowns are just a part of life. Now, can you imagine if NASA, right, decided, you know what, we're not going to include a countdown in the blast-off sequence. All right, and go. Well, that wasn't very exciting, was it? Or maybe live TV, right? The floor director usually counts down until they're live, but what if they didn't? 
in your life. Wait, wait, what? That's awkward, okay? So countdowns are important in our world. And without them, I think we're going to be in some serious trouble. Because in a weird way, countdowns bring order and calmness to our lives. Countdowns also bring anticipation. They bring wonder and optimism too. So we're now entering the Christmas season, or for some of you, we're playing catch-up. Because I saw your Instagram reel, all right, of you putting up your Christmas tree November 1st, playing All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey, okay? Or, or maybe you're like me, I got all my Christmas decorations up, and I got a wound on my head to show it, okay? But regardless of when you are doing your Christmas preparations, all right, today we're going to be looking at this amazing thing called Advent. So when you hear the word Advent, your thoughts probably go to a countdown, right? An Advent countdown, like an Advent calendar. And you guys would be kind of right on that. Now, there are many Advent calendars out there. A lot of them are geared towards kids because kid can't, uh, Advent calendars have like little toys in them or little fun activities they do. And of course, you adults, you have an Advent calendar too. You probably have some in your kitchen, if you know what I'm seeing, right? Even Elf on the Shelf, okay, even Elf on the Shelf is kind of like a countdown till Christmas time. So I'm an old school classic guy myself when it comes to counting down for Christmas. I do the classic paper chain method. Not only is it awesomely decorated, but you could easily tear off a piece of paper and just count it down that way. And so I just love countdowns, especially for Christmas. Now, Advent, though, is like I said, is more than just countdowns. The season of Advent is actually a celebration. It's a reminder. It's a symbol of God's unending love and faithfulness. The word Advent is from the Latin word Adventoris, which means to coming to. And the Advent season is a time of preparation that directs our hearts and our minds to the coming of what? To the coming of Jesus, his second coming. Also, to celebrate his birth, which is what this season is all about. Advent uses symbols to tell us what the season is about. Over here, we have our Advent set up here. The wreath on the bottom symbolizes God's love for us, which is never-ending. We have the candles represent each week leading up to Christ's birth. The first candle we lit today for hope. The second is the symbol of peace. The third is joy, and the fourth is love. And the fifth candle there is Christ, which we'll light on Christmas Eve. So Advent is a very special time in the life of the church. Pope Francis, right, he wrote this about Advent. Advent invites us to a commitment to vigilance, to look beyond ourselves and expand our mind and heart in order to open ourselves up to the needs of people, of brothers and sisters, and to the desire of a new world. So I am really honored that uh, Pastor Tim uh, chose me to speak on this today as we kick off our uh, Christmas season. So let us pray and let us ask God to help us focus our hearts and minds to what he has for you today. So if you join me, let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to speak uh, today, God. I pray that the words said are glorified to you, God. I pray that you just open up our hearts and minds to what you have for us through your word today. And God, I thank you for the hope that we're going to be talking about today, God. We love you so much. Amen. Now, we hear and say the word hope a lot in our world. I think we do. Like, oh, man, I hope you have a great day, or oh, I hope the test results are good, or man, I hope the meeting with the boss goes well, or I hope you feel better soon, right? Or, oh, this is a good one. I hope the baby starts sleeping through the night, right? We say that one to people. We hope for things both big and small. And uh, what is hope? Okay, on your outline sheet, we're going to use this definition of, of what hope is. 
Hope is a confident expectation, a desire, an anticipation for something good to happen that rests in what we believe. So if you want to boil down to that, it's what? Hope is a confident expectation of something good to happen. Now, in today's culture, the word hope is often used for wishful thinking. And those things are like kind of interchangeable with people. But the problem with this belief about hope is that it's like the wind. It has no firm foundation. You just say it, almost like a genie type of thing. But for those who believe in God, your hope is firm because of who God is. For you see, God has been revealing himself as the one true God. He keeps his promises all the time. He works all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. His faithfulness is eternal and his mercies are new every single morning. Now that is a God of hope who is worth following. Even way back in the day, the very beginning, right, of the Garden of Eden, when sin entered the world, all hope probably seemed lost. But God promised a way. He promised to send a rescuer to make things right between himself and us. So he set a plan in motion by sending his son, Jesus. And guess what? God fulfilled that promise, not only through Jesus' life, but also through his death and resurrection. But the sad thing about it is, even though God did that for us, there are still moments where we lose hope, where we feel hopeless, And so what do we do in a season of hopelessness? How do we get our hope restored? Well, the best place to look that I know is God's word, the truth for our lives. And so we're going to be looking at a story today in the gospel of Luke that will help us identify what it looks like to have no hope, but then also follows up with how our hope can be restored. Now, I said the gospel of Luke is what we're going to look at, and you're probably thinking, the Christmas story, yay, because... Again, the Gospel of Luke, the first, uh, first two chapters is where the Christmas story's at. And so it makes sense, Christmas time. But actually, we're not going to do that. We're actually going to be looking at the end of the book of Luke, where we already had Jesus dying on the cross, then rising again from the grave. Jesus already encountered Mary and Mary in the garden. And then that epic race, okay, between Peter and John to see who could get to the tomb first. So all those events already happened. And so if you have a Bible, if you could get that out, or if you have your app, you know, the Bible app, you could turn that on and go to Luke chapter 24. If you want to, Luke chapter 24, we're going to start in verse 13. And I love the book of Luke. It's very detailed because the the author of Luke, Luke is a physician. And so he took a lot of detailed notes from eyewitnesses and he interviewed people. And so uh, it's very detailed in that respect. And so it's a great uh, source for us to use today. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read some, and then I want to pause and talk about hope and, and, and all sorts. So uh, just bear with me. For those people who are like, you didn't read all the thing. Well, just calm down, okay? So here we go. We're going to start in verse 13. Now the same day, two of them were on their way to the village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them but they were prevented from recognizing him. And so here we have these two disciples, Cleopas and Eli, and they were uh, walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is about seven miles, right? So as they were walking, they're discussing and even arguing about the events surrounding Jesus' life and death. Remember, these guys were even in the room when Mary busted in and said, Jesus is alive, I saw him. But these two guys were skeptics. So here they go, they had to leave and go take a walk. 
They had to take a break. And so here we have, then in verse 15, Jesus began to walk alongside them. However, in verse 16, we see that they didn't recognize him. For Cleopas and Eli, they felt hopeless because of what happened to Jesus. The feeling of hopelessness that they had, along with a supernatural power, prevented them from seeing Jesus, who is right next to them. They were so focused on their current situation, it prevented them from seeing Jesus. And so on your outline sheet, we see this first section. It says, effects of having no hope. So the very first thing here, first effect, when you have no hope, it distorts your sight. When you have no hope, it distorts your sight. Distorted sight affects your ability to live in reality. It affects your ability to see what's around you. It affects your ability to process situations in real time. It's almost like things are happening in slow motion. Everything else is moving around you. Everyone is like kind of moved on with their life, this kind of seems like, and yet you just can't because your sight is distorted. When life feels overwhelmed, you often feel like you're drowning because of your circumstances, which causes your sight to be distorted. These two guys, that's exactly what was happening. And for us, if you've never been in the situation where when you feel like your sight's distorted, your thoughts, your emotions, it's like a never-ending cycle. It's like a broken record that you just can't out, out, stop playing, right? It goes on and on and on and on. You're stuck in the weeds, and all you see are weeds, and you almost need like a weed whacker, but there's none to be found. And so because of this distorted sight, it leads us to our second effect. Our second effect says, when you have no hope, you feel discouraged. The next verse, it says, then he asked them, what is this dispute that you are having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. So when you have no hope, you feel discouraged. So for these two guys, they felt discouraged. Why? Because their hope was gone. Jesus was their hope, but now he's crucified and he's in the tomb dead. And when you get discouraged, it's often because of a loss of confidence or enthusiasm, right? That's what our definition says. Hope is a confident expectation of something good to happen. Well, guess what? Jesus dying, that's not good for them. So they lost confidence. They lost hope. If a friend, a boss, or even your own children does something you don't expect and the results were negative, well, the confidence you had towards those individuals are shattered. You feel discouraged. And I do believe that this is kind of why people try to control situations, right? Any control freaks out there? Okay, don't raise your hand for that, all right? But you try to control situations because you want to control the outcome of something, you don't want to have that feeling of discouragement because you just don't like that feeling. It's an icky feeling inside you. And so you want to avoid it. So let's try to control the situation. But the problem is we're human and we're not perfect. So there's no such thing as a perfect outcome. No matter how hard you try to control something, it's going to mess up. And you're going to have that feeling is going to come. And so you feel discouraged. All right, so let's keep going here uh, in our story, okay? Let's, let's, see, let's read the next part. It says this. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? Wow. That, you guys, is a very sarcastic comment. 
Okay? Now, it's, uh, you know, biblical sarcasm, so it's probably different from what you're used to. But let me read it again in Mike's version. Okay? This is the Mike version Bible. The one named Clevis answered him, Are you born under a rock? Where have you been? Seriously, right? Jesus, okay, he was kind of just saying this thing, like you're kind of baiting him, but Cleopas said a sarcastic statement there to him. Now, raise your hand, anybody? Sarcasm, anybody use sarcasm? Okay, don't do that either. Don't raise your hand. And so another effect we see here, number three, when you have no hope, you actually have an attitude towards others. You actually have an attitude towards others. So Cleopas gave Jesus some attitude in his statement, right? Because the thing is, when you have the feeling of hopelessness, your emotions are usually not in check. Why? Because again, your sight's distorted. You can't see what's going on around you. And it also affects your emotional intelligence. Well, what's emotional intelligence? It's this, your ability to understand, use, and manage. Not only your own emotions, but also the ability to communicate effectively, empathize with others, and overcome challenges. Because of his distorted sight, because of his emotional state, he was kind of mean toward Jesus a little bit, right? And sometimes we do that as well towards people. We're short with them. Well, let's keep reading here in our story because, guys, I don't want any of you to walk out of these doors today feeling hopeless like these two disciples, okay? I really don't. All right, let's keep reading here. In verse 19, what things he said to them? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus the Nazarene who was a powerful prophet in, uh, in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests, leaders, handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they did not find his body, they came and reported that he had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. There's a crucial point in this section of text that we have to unpack. You see, in verse 21, it says that they were hoping that Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel. You could almost call it that the, they were you know, saying to Jesus that, hey, you are our chosen one. You are our chosen one. Now, any Star Wars fans out there? Star Wars fans? Okay, some of you. That's, that's okay. That's fine. You don't have to be. But in the movie, the third movie here is Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. We see Anakin, okay? He's being burned by lava, okay? This is how he becomes Darth Vader. He's being burned, oops, spoiler. But he's being burned by lava, and Obi-Wan is on the bank, and he's yelling something to him. He's saying, you were the chosen one, supposed to bring balance to the force, you see, he was the chosen one, supposed to do this with these expectations that he had. These two disciples and Obi-Wan, they placed their hope in a chosen one. However, this hope, I believe, was misplaced. Their expectations were basically unrealistic. Despite being around Jesus, despite hearing his words and what he had to say, these guys still had misplaced expectations and hope in Jesus. You see, Jesus, they wanted Jesus to be this, this guy who would come and save them, set them free 
from the control of the religious establishment in Jerusalem because it became too political. They wanted him to bring an uprising to take down this power. And not just that, they wanted, uh, you know, the Romans, they wanted the Romans to be conquered and taken over because the Romans, you know, they caused poverty, they caused oppression, and they even caused high taxes. And so the Israelites, the Jews, wanted God to send a savior, not the savior we know, but the savior to come and be a general, to lead an army, to destroy all this stuff for them to be up instead of down. Man, talk about misplaced hope or unrealistic expectations, right? Jesus came, but not for, for that. And so in the section here on your outline sheet, it says cause of having no hope. Well, the cause of having no hope is this. It's from a lack of understanding. The lack of understanding leads to misplaced hope. When there is a lack of understanding due to miscommunication, people often fill in the gaps with their own thoughts or interpretations. This forms expectations that result in some truth, but also mixed in with some lies. Think of it in the terms of percentages, okay? So if you think about it in terms of percentages, we have 1% that is basically the, the realistic expectations. And the other percentage is the unrealistic expectations. The higher the percentage of the false expectations is actually the higher the risk of feeling hopeless, which also leads to being dis- discouraged. So think about it in your own life. When you had an expectation that was not met, how did it make you feel? Did you feel, yay, that was awesome? Well, most of the time you probably feel discouraged you probably even got a little upset. You maybe had an attitude towards someone else. I can imagine, right? You know, as dads, right? Christmas Eve, right? It's late, Christmas Eve. It's late. You're putting together presents for your kids. There's a bolt missing or a piece that's not fitting right. Yeah, you better control your language. That's all I'm saying, okay? Misplaced hope. You get angry, you get upset because you expected it to work the way it should, right? But again, the lack of understanding. And so the only way to change your unrealistic expectations here is by filling gaps with truth. Change your unrealistic expectations by filling gaps with truth. We gain truth by seeking answers to questions through trusted sources, which is very hard today in a world of fake news right? Fake news. Who do, you, who do you know? Who you can trust? Now, people can be a trusted source. Yes, we can be. But remember, we're all sinful. We're all broken. We make mistakes. And so the only place, the only source that could be trusted 100% of the time is this right here, God's Word. And so let's listen again. Listen to what it says on hope and truth. It's on your outline sheet. Listen to this verse, Colossians 1, 5 through 6. Because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, you have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel, that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just that it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You hear that? The hope in the word of truth. So God's word is the truth. And so we just heard... And we identified what having no hope looks like. We heard now just where that could be from. Maybe a mis- misplaced hope because of unrealistic expectations. So now let's shift. Let's shift now. Let's see how we could have our hope restored. 
So let's, let's go back to uh, the this, this scriptures here. Let's go back to the story. He said to them, how unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts. All the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them for them the things concerning himself in scripture. So Jesus pretty much did this. He actually took these guys, Cleopas and Eli, through a stroll down memory lane. He did. Starting with Moses and ending with the prophets, Jesus shared everything that was written about himself. Right? Deuteronomy 18 talks about the coming of a prophet, a.k.a. God's son. Psalms 2, 16, 110, 118 describes the Messiah that's going to deliver the people and make things right. Isaiah 52, 53 foretells the Christ's suffering as the punishment for the inequities of us all. Daniel chapter 7 on God's kingdom forever established through Jesus and so on and so forth. All of it. And I just shared a few. But here's the thing, every single one of those promises in the Old Testament that Jesus shared and that we could read about came true. So the first way, hope can be restored. Hope is restored when you remember God's promises. That's exactly, that's exactly what was happening here. He was remembering God's promises. And you know the thing about this too, is that God's promises always come true, right? How do I know this? Again, let's go back to the word. It says this in Psalms 145, 13. Let's read it. It says, it says, the Lord is trustworthy in all, he prom- all his promises and faithful in all he does. God's promises always come true. And because of that, you could trust God no matter what. You might not be able to trust people because, again, we're sinful, we're broken, we make mistakes. But God, you could trust no matter what. So let's go back to some promises, okay? So if you're feeling hopeless in the battle with temptation, because we all, we all get tempted, feeling hopeless in the battle with temptation, well, remember God's promise that he'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can't handle. And then when you do, you'll, he'll provide a way out. That's from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Or maybe you're feeling hopeless with the weight of your to-do list. It's Christmas, right? You got a good dent in it Friday for Black Friday. You got it, you're good, but hey, you still got a lot more to go. And this weight of your to-do list is just weighing on you. Well, remember what God's promised, right? Remember this, that he'll give you rest when you come to him. That he will carry the burden for you in Matthew 11, 28 through 30 says. Or maybe you're just looking around this world and you're feeling hopeless because of the current state of it. You're like, this world just... Ugh, it's yucky. Well, remember what God said. He said, yes, in this world, we'll have suffering. Yes, it's going to be yucky. But he conquered the world. Jesus conquered the world. John 16, says, God's word is full of promises that will come true. Use that to restore your hope. The second way you could restore your hope. Hope is restored when Jesus is made known. So looking at the story In verse 28, it says, They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, Stay with us, because it's almost evening. Now the day is almost over. Come on. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he was reclining at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. 
So they said to each other, weren't our hearts ablaze within us when, while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? And so here we have Jesus took the bread, blessed it and broke it, and then made himself known. Now, the two disciples saw Jesus do this a couple of days ago during the Passover feast. And I believe that the, Jesus purposely did this action after he shared the truth with them, after he told them about God's promises, so that it can clear up their mis, uh, misplaced hope, their misplaced expectations. So then their hearts were ready to experience Jesus at that time. And more importantly, it actually allowed them to receive the Spirit of God, too. And how do I know that? Well, in verse 32, it, they asked the question, weren't our hearts ablaze within us because of the Scriptures? See, that feeling believers get with their hearts to be ablaze or on fire for God is because of the Spirit of God. You see, the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. The Trinity is, you know, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and the God, the Spirit. All three are fully God, but each serve a different purpose. So on your outline sheet, God says this, he, hope is restored when Jesus is made known, but Jesus is made known how? Through the reading of God's word, right? The reading of this Bible, through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Also, you can read about them with Paul and the letters, but also he's made known through the spirit of God in all believers. The spirit dwells within on our hearts, and the Spirit provides peace, provides comfort, provides conviction, strength, provides help. And so how do, we, how, do we, how do we use that? Well, we have to pray. We have to pray to God specifically asking for the Holy Spirit to do those things in our lives, like tapping into that. So maybe you need to pray for peace if you're feeling anxious. Holy Spirit, I, I, God, I just, I just need peace. I just don't feel good. Or maybe you need to pray for comfort in the midst of Greece, grief because you just lost someone. Pray for comfort. Maybe you need to pray for conviction with your battle of sin. Convict my heart, God. Help me turn away from thy sin. Pray for strength to get up from the pits of despair. Every morning it's bleak. You don't want to get out of bed. Pray to the Holy Spirit asking to help you with that. Or maybe you feel just trapped in your circumstances. Pray asking for that. And how do I know it will come true? Well, how do I know that? Well, 1 John 5, 14 through 15 says it. This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for him. If he hears us with a full heart, with an honest heart, with pure intentions, then it'll be given. What an awesome God of hope that we serve. So let's go back to our story. So here we have it. Verse 33. Then that very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with him gathered together who said, the Lord has certainly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So the third way your hope is restored is this. Hope is restored when your passion is reignited. Reignited. So not only their hope was restored through the scriptures, 
by seeing Jesus, it also reignited their passion for God. In verse 33, it says that they returned to Jerusalem that very hour. <laughs> they didn't wait until morning time. Remember, it was evening now. They didn't wait until morning time. They were just so excited to tell others that they risked their own life, their own well-being to go and tell people about their passion. You see, it was a seven-mile journey, right? It was at nighttime. There's no police patrolling around. So they were open to attacks by robbers, thieves, or criminals, or anything. But the two guys, they just didn't care anymore because their passion for God was back. Man, how awesome is that? Now, I, I think of uh, children on Christmas morning, right? Anybody, anybody have kids that are out of the house now? Anybody have kids out of the house? They're just gone. Okay, most of us have kids in the house then, right? Okay. Maybe not, okay. Well, on Christmas morning, kids are a sight to behold. Right? Their wonder and excitement is like off the charts. So when they see the presents all under the tree, they just want to go over there and just tear up and tear up everything, right? Just wrap it up. Just, I'm going to get in the presents, whatever. And then I'm the type of dad that's like, all right, tear it open. Let's get the trash bag. Like right away, right, right away. That's me. Maybe you're like, no, I want to see the carnage of wrapping paper everywhere. But after everything's like, unwrapped, what do they do next? Well, they want to play with their toys or this case, maybe, hey, can you activate my subscription? You know, whatever it might be. So they play with their new stuff for hours and hours until maybe the family arrives for Christmas dinner or maybe they have to get ready and go. And when the family does show up, and what do adults usually do? They ask the kids, hey, what'd you get for Christmas? And then children, man, their excitement just repeats over again. Oh, I got Whoa, right? Because their passion is there, and you can see it. Now, children at Christmas are filled with hope, and their passion um, for the day spills over in material possessions. Okay, it does. But it's a good reminder for us that when you are filled with passion, you cannot keep it in. And so on here it says, when you're filled with passion, you cannot keep it in. You're just overwhelmed in a positive way, and you need to go, tell it on the mountains, like the shepherds did that night when Jesus was born. In a world that's we call dark and it seems hopeless, someone needs to stand up and be the light. And what's the light? Well, Matthew 5, 14 through 15 says this, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let your light shine out of the passion you have for God. Share your testimony. Share your story of what God is doing in your life. That's what the Elias family did here with our Advent wreath of hope. And when I heard that story, when I hear other stories of what God's doing or did in someone's life, it ignites my own passion. It reignites it. So how do you reignite your passion when you feel hopeless? Well, again, you're doing it right now. You're here at church. You start by surrounding yourself with other believers. Remember the two disciples, they ran back because they wanted to be with their small group. They wanted to share their experiences. And when you do that, you're actually, you know, not only hearing stories, but you're also growing in your own faith. And you're forming a connection with other 
people as well. Now, next year, Woodland's going to roll out all these different types of groups. It's going to be amazing. And I want everyone in here, okay, to join a group. Now, if you're like, what groups are there? Well, the good thing is you can talk to my friend, Pastor Jay, okay? He's, he's around, he's out there, and he knows about these groups, and he'll love for you to talk with him and get connected to figure out what group you could be part of next year. Because those groups can help you in a season of hopelessness. However, there might be times where your hopelessness, depending on your situation, is so overwhelming that your passion can't be reignited through those groups. And if that's the case, maybe you need to seek out an organization like Celebrate Recovery, which is a biblical-based recovery group that could help you do that. Or maybe you're so hopeless that your hope is on life support. And now, please, if that's you, if you know someone like that, encourage them to go seek professional help. Go seek counseling because they are trained and they can handle that. Because here's the thing, the God who loves you, who works all things out for your good, wants the best for you. His best for you is not for you to be trapped in a place of hopelessness. It is not. So, who do you know that needs their hope to be restored? Think about it. Do you know someone like that? Maybe it's you. Are you in a season that needs a hope transfusion? This Christmas season is tough for many of us, okay? It's not so bright and shiny and, and awesome like we see it. This time of year can actually amplify and enhance the feeling of hopelessness that people get. But if we pull back the curtain of hopelessness, we might be able to see why. Maybe it's because of the whole misplaced hope towards God, misplaced hope towards others. And those expectations we have, they have power. And I don't want you guys to, to, to like go into that. I don't. God has given us this book called the Bible, his word, who was written by people who were inspired by God through the Holy Spirit. This word gives us life. It gives us direction. It gives us the ability to restore our hope like we talked about today. And so I don't want you to walk out of here feeling hopeless. Jeremiah 29, It's a verse that maybe you memorized it. It's probably on your wall in your house somewhere. But in this verse, it was written during a time when the Israelites were feeling hopeless. They were captured and forced away from their homes. They're in a strange land surrounded by a strange culture. And because of that, many of them fell into temptation. Many of them sinned. But here's the thing, the God who still loved them sent a prophet to remind them of hope. And here we have Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, all right, it says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God promised that they, Israelites, would be prosperous. God promised that they would not, that he would not harm them, that they would have a future because of what they could be hopeful for. And that is Jesus. You see, God delivered on his promise that he made in Jeremiah. He delivered on all the promises that he made. So the one thing to remember, we do this with kids, right? The BTL and the bottom line for today is this, Jesus birth provides everlasting hope. 
Jesus' birth provides everlasting hope. Another, another verse, John 3, 16, 17. You know, this is one of the essential verses in our faith. One of the verses, the first verses we have our kids memorize in Awana. And this is what it says. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see that? That we'll have eternal life with God. So in a world that seems hopeless, let us fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the one that provides everlasting hope. Eternal life with God, what is that? Well, that's heaven. Heaven is way better than here or anything on this earth, even better than Disney World, okay? Even better than that. And so I want everyone in here to experience this everlasting hope in heaven when we all die. Because we all will die one day. And we'll either go to heaven or we'll go to hell, which is eternal separation from God. And I don't want any of that. God sent Jesus to provide a way for us to have our hope restored. And that is something that you could be confident in. So how do we do that? Well, it's easy. It's ABCs. A, it's admit that you do wrong called sin. And that that sin separates you from God. B, you believe that Jesus is God's son, sent to die on a cross for you so you could have, be restored with him, so you could have your hope restored. And C, you confess within your heart that Jesus is Lord of your life and that he's your savior. And when you do that, pray that to him, talk to God about that, then you will have that eternal hope as John 3, 16, 17 talks about. 